Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight, we're going to get into some very interesting topics. We're going to be talking about why did King David's son die? Why? Why did that happen? We're going to get into a lot of different viewpoints on that. We're also going to uh, just kind of polish up from last night as well. We're going to read from 1 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to get into several Psalms as well. We are live streaming on TikTok and Podbean and YouTube, several other platforms simultaneously here. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Invite your friends, invite your family members. Let's all join together here and fellowship. Let's let's talk about this thing. First of all, before I get into it, just to give you a little bit, give you guys a little bit of a heads up. I'm going to start by reading First Chronicles chapter 20. For those of you who are new to this, uh, we are doing a chronological leading reading, excuse me, throughout the scriptures. And right now we are on First Chronicles chapter 20. So we're going to read that and uh, it kind of just picks up where we left off last night. And then we're going to get into Second Samuel chapters 11 and 12, talking about David, the, the infamous story of David, Bathsheba, and his son, um, what happened to his son. And so we're going to talk all about that. We're going to talk about whether or not that was a uh, reflection of, or what was that like a uh, picture of Jesus dying on the cross? Did his son die for his sin or because of his sin? Different, different, um, different points of view. And there is a big difference between all of those three. I'll get into it in just a moment. Again, welcome you guys all over the place on the Podbean and on TikTok and on several other places throughout the internet here. So, First Chronicles chapter 20. Those of you on TikTok, I am also live streaming on YouTube as well in case you're interested in doing a hop, skip, and a jump over there. So... First Chronicles chapter 20 says, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle. It seems like it's battle season, boys. It's battle season. At the time when kings go out to battle, that Joab led out the army and ravaged the land of the sons of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at stave, excuse me, in Jerusalem. And Joab struck Rabbah and overthrew it overthrew it. David took the crown of their king from his head, and he found it to weigh a talent of gold. Wow. Can you imagine? A talent of gold. Hmm. Let me just, let me see what it says here in the footnotes, because, you know, some, you got different accounts, different uh, interpretations. Some people say a talent is 75 pounds. I have heard it say, I've, I have heard it up to like 100 pounds. Let's just see what it says here. 75, says right here. 75 pounds to 34 kilograms. That's quite the crown. That's quite the crown. Can you imagine wearing a crown? I mean, uh, is, uh, I don't know, but I mean, I'm thinking, you know, it wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't take long before your ne- your uh, vertebrae in your neck is compressed so much. It'd be like, you won't have any neck left over after wearing that crown f- for a while, right? Your back will also be, your back will also be feeling it for sure. 75 pound <laughs> crown. Hmm. No wonder they took that crown. No wonder they took that crown. 75 pounds of gold. 
gold. And there was a precious stone in it, not just not just pure gold, but there's a precious stone in it. And it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoils of the city, a very great amount. Hmm. I wonder how David took it. 75 pounds of gold on his head. Hmm. Verse, verse 3. He brought out the people who were in it and put them to work at saws, iron picks, and axes. And David did the same to all the cities of Ammon. And uh, then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now it came about after this that war broke out at Gezer with the Philistines. Then uh, Sibekai, the Husathites, killed Sipai, one of the descendants of the giants, and they, and they were subdued. And there was war with the Philistines again, and, and Elhanan, the son of Yair, killed Lahmi, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was a weaver's beam. Again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had 24 fingers and toes, six fingers on each hand and six, finger, six toes on each foot. And he, uh, he also was uh, descended from the giants. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother killed him. These were descendants, these were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. All right, all right. Now let's get into 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here we are. Interesting. Interesting account here. Bathsheba, David's great sin. Hmm. Let me just see here. Just before we get into that. Okay. Awesome. Breath of Life 74 says, jumping over to YouTube. Okay. It's all lies. says 85. So 85 pounds. Yeah, it depends on what... Uh, you read because some people, some believe it's 75 pounds. Some believe it's eight. It's up to a hundred pounds. I have heard everything in from, from that, from one to the other, um, 75 pounds, 75 pounds. Incredible. My seven-year-old son, my seven-year-old is half that. And he's heavy for me. I'm female, not a total wimp. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine? It's like two of him on your head. Yeah, that would, that definitely would be, that definitely would be a job, wouldn't it? Breath of Life 74 said, that's better. TikTok kept buffering. Okay. Thank you for letting me know. Breath of Life 74 says, shalom, everyone. Shalom, shalom over there. Shalom. Welcome, welcome. So if it, if it does buffer, um, you know, on YouTube, let me know. Okay. 
those who are on TikTok, I am on YouTube right now. I am going to be sharing my screen in just a matter of seconds and reading one of the most one of one of the most interesting stories, talking about interesting things. David Bathsheba and his son. Let's get into it. This is Second Samuel chapter eleven. Then it happened in the spring. At the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they brought destruction on the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed in Jerusalem. Again, this is um, actually it's First Chronicles 20, uh, quoting this as opposed to the other way around. As you know, it's very pretty much a repeat. Verse 2. Now at the evening time, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the, of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Now let me stop here for a second. Okay, just a little side note, just a little side note. Some believe, now don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this is 100%, you know, the way it was, how, however it could have been. Um, some believe that Bathsheba was actually performing a mikvah at the time. A mikvah, for those of you who don't know, is like a Jewish, um, Jewish baptism. Uh, and many times it was done outside. Um, and it was like a, a Jewish baptism uh, was different in the sense that uh, when a person is baptized or you know when they have their mikvah, they usually do it alone. And they usually do it, well, because they're alone, I mean, it doesn't matter if you have, if you wear anything or not. Uh, so it doesn't really matter. And uh, it basically, it, it's, it's like a big, it's like a pool that you step down into and there are steps or actually steps. I, I believe there are seven steps down in to this, into this, like it's a, like a mini pool. Um, and so a lot of people believe that it was a mikvah that uh, Bathsheba was actually in the process of, of doing. Um, so just a little side note there. All right. Verse three. So David sent servants and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now, the name Bathsheba, Bat, Bat, or Bat, Sheba, Sheba, Sheba. It's very interesting. Let me just say here again, David, you know, uh, this was his downfall, right? I mean, with Bathsheba. Now, it's interesting how his son, Solomon, also <laughs> had a, an encounter with, the, with someone very similar to the daughter of Sheba. Uh, it was the queen of Sheba. Just a very interesting little, another little interesting side note for you guys. Uh, you can see similarities between David and Solomon. In, you know, slightly anyway. Verse four, then David sent messengers and had her brought. And when she came to him, he slept with her. And when he had purified Excuse me, when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. But the woman conceived. So she sent word and informed David and said, I am pregnant. 
Then David sent word to, to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Okay, so he's got a conspiracy going on, as we all know. So Joab sent Uriah the hit, uh, to David. By the way, Uriah, Ur means light, right? The light of Yah, the, or Uriahu, the light of Yahu. Okay. Or um, actually more literally, Yah is my light. That's what it means. As we know, David or Dawid uh, means uh, like beloved, beloved one. When Uriah came to him, David asked about Yoab's well-being and that of the people and the condition of the war. Hmm, you know, small talk. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash. Your so Uriah left the king's house and, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with, with all the servants of his lord and didn't go down to his house. Now, when they informed David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Should I go to my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? But your life, or excuse me, by your life and the life of your soul, I'll do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the day after. Now David summoned Uriah, and he ate and drank in his presence. And he made Uriah drunk. And in the evening, Uriah went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, and he still did not go down to his house. So in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter the following, Station Uriah on the front line of the fiercest battle and pull back from him so that he may be struck and killed. So it was that Joab kept watch on the city that he stationed that he stationed Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city went out and fought against Joab and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent a messenger and reported to David all this, the events of the war. He ordered the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling all the events of the, of the war to the king, then it shall be that if the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you move against the city to fight? Did you not know? that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Yerabisheth? Yerabisheth. Did a woman not throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Tebez? Why did you move against that against the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite also died. 
So the messenger departed and came and reported to David everything that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men prevailed against us and came against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Also, the archers shot at your servants from the wall. So some of the king's servants died, and your Uriah the Hittite also died. Then David said to the messenger, This is what you shall say to Joab. Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Fight with determination against the city and overthrow it, and thereby encourage him. Now when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent servants and had her brought to his house. And she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan rebukes David. Then the Lord said to Nathan, sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in a city one wealthy and the other poor. The wealthy man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb, which he, had, which he bought and nurtured, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat scraps from him and drink from his cup and lie in his lap. It was like a daughter to him. Now a visitor came to the wealthy man, and he could not bring himself to take any animal from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the, uh, for the traveler who had come to him. So he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the, the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to David, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this certainly deserves to die. In the footnotes, it says, literally, is a, is a son of death. So he must make retribution for the man four times over since he did, since he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan said to, then said to David, you yourself are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. It is I who anointed you as king over Israel. And, and it is I who rescued you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and put wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you more th many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in it? You have struck and killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife as your wife, and you have slaughtered him with, this, with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now then, the sword shall never leave your house because you have despised me and have taken a wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. This is what the Lord says. Behold, 
I am going to raise up evil from, uh, excuse me, I'm going to raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel in, and in open daylight. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has allowed your sin to pass. Literally in the Hebrew, it means passed over your sin. In other words, you have been forgiven. You shall not die. Okay, So this is clear, clear, clear. David is not going to pay for this sin because it is forgiven. It has been passed over. The Lord has overlooked it. All right, So he's not going to pay for it. He's not going to die because of it. The punishment is not there because he's been forgiven. Verse 14, however, sent by this deed, you have shown utter disrespect for the Lord. The child himself who is born to you shall certainly die. Then Nathan went to his house. Okay, so in the footnotes here, it says literally the enemies of the Lord. Uh, euphemistic reference to God. Uh, the, uh, the DSS is word of the Lord. Okay, so this is the thing. Um, here's the question. Why did David's son die? Why did David's son die? And before I answer that question, let's let's kind of compare a few translations of 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. So we'll go on, we'll go over here. 2 Samuel 12, 14. We'll check out a few of the translations. I know I commonly use the Blue Letter Bible to compare translations. I just like the format. Um, so it says in the King James, albeit because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord, to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto you shall surely die. Various the New King James, NLT. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, um, can't read, I gotta kind of, uh, as in Dead Sea Scrolls, Masoretic text reads, the Lord's enemies, by doing this, your child will die. NIV. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. Again, uh, for the enemies, the enemies of the Lord. Uh, let me see here. An ancient Hebrew scribal translation, Masoretic text for the enemies of the Lord. Again, the idea again is that the enemies of the Lord have occasion to blaspheme. ESV, nevertheless, because of this deed, you, you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child uh, who is born to you shall die. Very, very um, similar in the CSB. Well, as we were reading the NASB earlier. Okay. Um, ASV, albeit because by this, you have given great, a great occasion to the, the enemies of Jehovah to blaspheme, the child that is also, uh, that is born unto you 
shall surely die. And the YLT, believe it or not, you guys know the YLT is one of the most um, accurate. Now, of course, the name of God here, the name of the Lord is not translated in an accurate way here. I mean, it's not transliterated properly here, but for the most part, the YLT is actually one of the most accurate translations. And it says, because you have caused the enemies of Jehovah or Yahuwah, Yahweh, greatly to despise, to despise by this thing, also the son who is born on, uh, to you uh, will surely die. Okay. So here's the question. Did David's son die for his sin? Because it says in the scriptures very clearly, Ezekiel chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 24, Ezekiel chapter 33, it says very clearly, the son will not die for the father's sin. So it's, it's a matter of semantics because Ezekiel chapter 18, let's, let's just go over there before I dig right into it. Ezekiel chapter 18. I'm going to follow along here. Um, actually, let's start with Deuteronomy. Let's start with the Torah. Let's just start with Deuteronomy chapter 24. And we will read what the Torah says about this. And we will dig into it. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. It says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor son shall excuse me, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin alone. Okay. Now, what does this mean? This is talking about the punishment of sin, okay? This is talking about God's wrath. It's like when it says in the scriptures, if you, uh, those who, you know, obey the Torah, for, for example, if you follow all the commands of the Torah, you will surely live. It's not talking about living biologically, at least not, that's not the, the totality of the meaning of that. It's talking about life spiritually. It's like eternal life. It's like the just shall live by faith. Okay. It's talking about basically salvation. And so death is also talking about the opposite. It's talking about not being um, in, it's talking about basically not being saved, you know, putting it in kind of modern Christian uh, terms. So life means saved. Death means not being saved. Um, you know, the, the just shall live by faith. Those who live, you know, those, those who do the commandments of the Lord will live by the commandments. Okay. So fathers shall not be put to death for their sons. In other words, the father cannot take punishment for a son. The father cannot come before God and say, Hey, you know what? Cut me off. Not my son. Let my son be saved, but write me off of your book. You, Moses tried to do something similar to that. Remember that? This was in Exodus chapter 32 as well. We might as well pull that one up as well. Exodus chapter 32. 
because this is all part and parcel of the same teaching, actually. Uh, we'll get into all of the, the difference between what this is and what happened to David's son. Okay, so Exodus chapter 32, excuse me, verse 30. And on the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, no, this was after like the golden calf. I mean, after, after Moses came down from, from the mountain, the golden calf sin, all that kind of thing happened. And um, so Moses is basically saying, you know, maybe I can make atonement for your sin. So he goes back up Mount Sinai. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, this people has committed a great sin and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now if you will forgive their sin, very well. But if not, please wipe me out from your book, which you have written. However, the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will wipe him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Okay. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, on the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord struck the people with the plague because of the evil, because of what they uh, did with the calf which Aaron had made. Okay. So it's super clear. Okay. The law of God is super clear here. Fathers shall not die for the sons. In other words, God's not going to punish the father for the, or the father cannot come before God like how Moses did and say, you know what? I love my son so much. I don't want to see my son die. Like basically, I don't want to see him receive the wrath of God. I don't want to see the wrath of God be poured, uh, poured upon him. Um, you know, throughout eternity. I want to take that blame for myself. I love him. So I, I want to pay for that myself. Deuteronomy uh, 24, 16 makes it clear. You can't do it. A parent, as much as you love your child, you cannot take, you cannot bear the brunt of their sin. You cannot take the, God's punishment of sin for them. That's not the way God works. It's just, he just doesn't accept that. Neither can the son take blame for the father. If you're, uh, you know, let's say you're, uh, you love your parents so much, but they, you know, they're on their way to hell. You can't go to, you can't go, you can't go to God and say, uh, God, um, send me to hell instead of them. I'll pay the debt. You let them go free. God's like, no, can't do that. That's not just, that's not the way it works. The soul that sins shall die. Moses, same principle. That's what I'm trying. I'm trying to, you know, this is this is the, the picture I'm, paint, I'm painting here is the, the principle of one dying for another in this manner. In this manner, where it's like Moses is like he wants to be the like like the Messiah, like 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 I want to die for the people. God's like, no, not happening, not going to happen. I will punish them for their sin. It just doesn't it doesn't work that way. That's basically what he said here. He, re he refused Moses to take the blame or to take the punishment of other people, another person or another people's sin. Um, and so 
Ezekiel chapter 18. We'll go there. We'll go to Ezekiel chapter 33. And then we'll, we'll, we'll clear out the muddy waters and we'll say, this is exactly what happened with David's son. This is why it happened. And this is what Deuteronomy 24, Exodus 32, Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33 means. This is how it, 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 this is how it fits in to the picture. Okay, so let's do it. Ezekiel, just give me a second to pull it up. Ezekiel chapter 18, starting at verse around 19. Uh, you know what? Start, let's start at, at verse 18. Kind of easy to remember. Ezekiel 18, 18. Very important. Very important, you guys. Send messages to your friends and family members that may have learned something tonight. 18, verse 18. As for his father, because he practiced extortion. So we're talking about the father, a father who has done something that he, he sinned, robbed his brother, and did what, it, what was not good among his people. Behold, he will die for his guilt. Verse 19, yet you say, why should the son not suffer punishment for the father's guilt? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has kept all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. See what God, let me just, let me take this really slow here because we need to understand this in its fullest context. God is saying, basically, if we have a man if he is just and righteous, he keeps all the statutes, he will certainly live. He will not die for another. In other words, he will not bear this, the punishment in this age and in the next age for another. Doesn't, doesn't happen that way. It's like today in a, in a court of law. You would be horrified to find out if your neighbors were like, if you can just imagine the most horrific people that have ever lived, and they are those people, and and they're allowed to go free just because they have someone else that wanted to die for them, or just because they had someone else that was willing to go to jail for them. That's not that's not justice. The one who practices justice and righteousness. And has kept all my statutes and done them. He shall shall certainly live. The person who sins will die. Okay. Now in the King James, this is a infamous passage: "The soul that sins shall die." No one else. The soul that sins shall die. The person who sins uh, will die. That's God's. That's God's law. We read it in Deuteronomy twenty-four. Uh, Exodus 32, a son will not suffer the punishment for, for the father's guilt, nor will a father suffer the punishment for the son's guilt. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Again, you might say, what does that mean? That simply means you will be rewarded for your righteousness, not for anybody else's. You will be rewarded for your righteousness and you will be punished for your wickedness. Nobody else will be. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself. You, you will be credited with righteousness if you're righteous. 
and you will be credited with wickedness if you're wicked. Wicked. That's it. Period. Nobody else. It's not transferable. Verse 21. But if the wicked man, the wicked person turns from all his sins, which he has committed. Now, this is kind of going into a different concept here, but let's read it anyway, because a lot of people don't understand this anyway. But if, the, but if the wicked person turns from all his sins, which he has committed, and keeps all my statutes, and practices justice and righteousness, again, this is all, it's repentance, basically. You turn from sin, you stop doing what you're not supposed to do. That's repentance. Doesn't matter whether, it's not talking about feeling sorry, remorse, regret, whatever. It's not talking about that. Repentance is turning from sin, changing. So if you change, if you're wicked, if you were wicked, now you keep all the statutes and you practice just, justice and righteousness, you will, you will certainly live, you will not die. It's a, it's, it's a promise. It's like, you won't die. God's not going to lay upon you someone else's sin. All his offenses which he has committed will not be remembered against him. Sounds a whole lot like the Christian gospel, right? You know, come forward in, you know, in, the, in the meeting and uh, bow your head and say the sinner's prayer and voila! God will not remember any, of, any, any sin that you've committed in the past. You, your sins are wiped clean. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 18, it says all they had to do was repent, and that's what they got. That's the reward they got. That's, that's the gospel. That's the reason why it says when they went to preach the gospel, the, Jesus and his 12 disciples, the first thing they said was repent. The gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that the 12 disciples preached, was not the gospel of the modern-day corrupt Christian narrative. It was simply repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's easy to obtain. It's right there before you. And this is the reason why. Because once you repent, all your offenses, everything that you have committed in all of your past will not be remembered against you. Beautiful. Praise God. Why? Because of the, his righteousness, which he has practiced. He will live, it says here. Again, for those, I see we have people just joining us. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, we're on. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he would turn from his ways and live? So this is what God really wants all the way through Scripture. We, For those of you who have followed me, reading from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to here, as you, many of you know, I read the entire New Testament and did exactly what I'm doing right now, going through it all commenting every step of the way. Um, we see it all the way through the scriptures, all the way through the scriptures. This is what, this is the primary focus of God, that people would turn from their way, their wicked ways and live. That's it. Verse 24, but when a righteous man, okay, this is the other side of the coin. When the righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, in other words, he repents of his righteousness, he changes. He turns from his righteousness, commits injustice, and, do, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked person does. Will he live? All his righteous deeds, which he has done, will not be remembered for his treachery, which he has committed, and his sin, which he has committed. For them, he will die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness, commits injustice, and dies because of it, for his injustice, which he has committed, he dies. 
But when a wicked person turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Again, this is not talking about just biological life, okay, guys? This is talking about spiritual. This is talking about olam haba, in the world to come, eternal life. Just like how Yeshua said, those who love their life will lose it, and those who lose their life will save it. Verse 28, since he understood, turned away from all his offenses, which he had committed, he, he, he shall certainly, he shall not die. But the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not right. Are my ways not right? House of Israel, is it not your ways that are not right? Therefore, I will judge you, house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your offenses, so that wrongdoing does not become a stumbling block to you. Hurl away, I like that, hurl away from you all your offenses which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. Okay, so one more I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read a, a portion of Ezekiel chapter 33. And then we will break it all down. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter 33. Um, uh, let me see now. I overshot here. Um, starting at, hmm. So this is an awesome chapter, by the way. This is talking about warning people to repent. I mean, if you've never read this chapter before, I mean, we'll, Lord willing, we'll get to it very soon for those of you who are following along with our daily chronological readings. But I, I highly recommend you read this, um, the responsibility that we have to uh, warn people. It's just absolutely sobering. Um, I'll start at verse 7. Now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them a warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will you will certainly die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked about this, about his way. The wicked person shall die for his wrongdoing, but I, re I will require his blood from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked person to turn from his way and not turn from his way, he, he will die for his wrong, but you have saved your life. Now, as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is what you had. Surely our offenses are in our sins are upon us and we are rotting away in them. How can we, how then can we survive in the uh, footnotes again? Um, live, it means literally live again. This is talking about spiritual life, Olam Haba, you know, um, not just life here on earth. Verse um, 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, God, um, 
take no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked. I take no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then should you die, house of Israel? And you, son of man, say to your fellow citizens, the righteousness of a righteous one will give him on the day of his offense. In other words, this is this is like talking about if a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin and becomes a sinner, basically. As for the wickedness of a wicked one, he shall or he will not stumble because of it on the day when he turns from his wickedness. Again, he will not stumble because of his repentance. Whereas a righteous one will not be able to live by his righteousness on the day when he commits sin. Notice it's according to God, your present spiritual condition is all that matters. If you spent all your life up until just today living in darkness and sin, and today you 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 live in light and you live in righteousness, that's all that matters. And he will not look at anything in the past. Verse, thir- verse 13, when I say to the righteous that he will certainly live and he so trusts in his righteousness that he commits injustice, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered. But for that same injustice of which has committed, he will die. But when I say to the wicked, you will certainly die, and he turns from his sin, and practices justice and righteousness, if a wicked person returns a pledge, pays back what he has taken by robbery, walks by the statutes which ensure life without committing injustice, he shall certainly live. He shall not die. None of his sins that he has committed will be remembered against him. He has practiced Justice and righteousness, he will, he shall certainly live. Yet your fellow citizens say the way of the Lord is not right, when it is their own way that is not right. When the righteousness, when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, then he shall die in it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness, practices justice and righteousness, he will live by them. Again, this is the live, the same live again. Um, you know, I know I'm being redundant here, but uh, it's the same salvation promise of life eternal as the just shall live by faith. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not right. I will judge each each of you according to his ways, house of Israel. Okay, so I will judge each one of you according to his ways. So, a recap here. We have Deuteronomy chapter 24 saying that the son shall not die for the fathers. Now, again, this is not talking about physical death. This is talking about spiritual death. This is talking about every the punishment of sin. The son shall not take the punishment of sin for the father. And the father cannot take the punishment of, the, of sin for the son, no matter how much they love one another. Exodus chapter 32. In spite of the fact that Moses spoke with God face to face, he was a, he was he walked with God more than any other prophet, closer than any other prophet, um and God heard him and he heard God more than anybody perhaps apart from Yeshua. Uh, even then, God said no to Moses. When Moses said, "Hey, these people have committed a great a great sin. They, you know, they they fashioned a, a golden calf. They 
worshiping this golden calf. They committed this great sin. I will take the punishment. God's like, nope, that's not how it works. No, 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 no. You go your way, okay? I will deal with the one who sins shall die. The soul that sins shall die, as it says in Ezekiel chapter 18. Same principle over and over and over again. So, when it comes to paying for your sin, the full, nobody can pay. Nobody else can pay. The sinner pays for the sin, for his sin or her sin. As far as being righteous, the, the righteous will be rewarded for their righteousness. Nobody else. That is the law of God. Eternal law of God never changes. Let me just, let me just, it came to mind. I want to, I want to share this. This is a true story. There is, there is this quote unquote prophet. Some of you might know what I'm going to say. There's this quote unquote prophet that is actually um, quite well known. He's an author. He travels around the world. He, he's, you know, going around the world speaking, you know, thus saith the Lord all the time, personal prophecies, all this kind of, all these kind of things. Um, and one day I saw him tweet. He's one of these hyper grace, greasy grace, counterfeit grace guys. Okay. So I was, I went to his Twitter profile once. I thought, and w- one of the tweets that he tweeted was, um, God is, like he tweeted this out to the entire world. It's like, God is not mad with you. God is not mad at you, you know? And so I, I replied to him. And I said, you can say that to like some people, but the vast majority of people, you can't really say that to. I mean, John chapter three, verse 36, for example, um, those who do not obey, those who do not believe, the wrath of God abides, abides, lives on them, not just visits them, not just afflicts them a little bit and, you know, lives on them. And he's like, no, 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 no. He said, he said, no. He said, no. Jesus died for our sins, for the sins of the world. The wrath of God is nowhere, uh, nowhere. God, Jesus already took the full wrath of God. God is not mad at anybody. Okay. God already got mad. Uh, You know, uh, Jesus on the cross, you know, Jesus paid the full debt and that's it. God doesn't get mad anymore, basically, is what he said. So I tweeted back and I said, well, I said, well, the angel that struck Ananias and Sapphira didn't get that memo. He's like, well, you know, just mumbling, just nonsense, you know, in the, in the tweeted back. And so I said, I said, you know how I am, right? I said, said, face to face, Mr. Prophet, face to face, me and you, live video. Let's do a live video face to face about this. And <laughs> then he started sending me private messages. Well, I don't want to do live video. I won't talk to you on live video, but um but I'll call you. I, we can talk on the phone. 
make a long story short, I had to pull teeth to get him to call. I had to, I had to hold him to his word. I had to pull teeth to get him to call. Finally, he called. And I said, listen, you're just going around grace, 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 and grace and love and grace and love and grace and love with no repentance. That's not in contest to the rest, to the scripture. I said, the problem is when you just preach grace and love to everybody, they they feel comfortable in their sin. They feel like they're, you know, they are, um, they're accept, God accepts them, them with their sin. Um, they don't need to repent. He's like, oh, no, no. He said, no, no. That's, you know, uh, uh, if I preach grace and love, you know, they'll stop sinning because, uh, well, you know, grace, love of God, they will they will experience the love of God and they won't sin. They won't want it. I said, well, the problem is a lot of these people don't even know what sin is. So I said, listen. I said, you said in the tweet. I, I Actually, I, sh- I should have recorded the phone call. I didn't, but I should have. I said, you said in the tweet that God does not get mad at anybody anymore because Jesus took the full wrath of God on the cross for the world. He said, yes. I said, so let me get this straight. Jesus took the full wrath of God against sin. He said, yes. I said, what is the full wrath of God against sin? crickets. I'm like, hello? Are you still there? What is the full wrath of God against sin? I can still hear the the crickets chirping. So I said, listen, is it just to die on the cross and raise again in three? is, Is it to spend one day in hell, two days in hell, three days in hell, or eternity in hell? He said, Eternity in hell. I said, well, obviously Jesus didn't pay that. He didn't take that the full wrath of God against sin. You know what his answer to me was? I'll never forget it. He said, well, you're just going to, you just have to believe. You just have to believe. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to use my, you know, God gave us a brain. God gave us truth. God gave us, you know, I'm going to go with what it says. I'm going to go with simple God-given logic here. He's like, well, we're never going to agree to it. Okay, okay. What's the full wrath of God against sin? We have people living today on earth that, that live in a hell. They will tell you that life on earth is hell. I've met many of them. There are people who live day in, day out, year in, year out, and some of them decade in and decade out in hell on earth. So to say that hell, that, excuse me, to say that the full wrath of God against sin is just to die on the cross and spend three days in hell or whatever, and then to rise again. That's the full wrath of God against sin. Isn't it just logical to say that a lot of people actually paid a lot more than that? Just question, just a question. 
God is very, very clear in the Tanakh, in the Torah, in his law, in his ever everlasting law. Nobody shall die for another person's sin. Nobody takes another person's punishment. He wouldn't allow it with Moses. He wouldn't allow it in the in the in, with the people uh, in in the book of Deuteronomy and everyone else that the book of Deuteronomy speaks to it, through Ezekiel. The soul that sins shall die, not someone else die for you. It's not the way it works. So David's son. Why did David's son die? Did David's son die for David's sin? Now, here's where we have to kind of, we have to clarify some definitions here. When I say die for his sin, what I'm saying is take the punishment of his sin upon him. What I, what I mean by that in right now, when I'm talking about this, what I mean is pay the debt of his sin. When I say, did David's son die for his sin? I am saying that in the same, using the same definition as Christians do when they say, Jesus died for my sin. As in, took the debt, took the debt, took it all upon himself. Paid the debt. And the answer is a clear and an emphatic no. The verse before, let's just go there. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Okay. Um, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has allowed your sin to pass. Again, in the original Hebrew, the Lord has overlooked, over, uh, passed over your sin. He has overlooked your sin. You shall not die. Now, your sin is... Your sin is forgiven. Your sin is forgiven. You shall not die. Okay? So that's taken care of in verse 13. The sin of David, his personal sin is overlooked. Passed over. The Passover. Okay? That's taken care of. He shall not die. You shall not die. Okay. Verse 14 is a completely different matter. Now, this is not talking about David's son dying for his sin because David's son didn't, didn't have to die for his sin because his sin has already been passed over. His sin has already been forgiven up here. You can't say, can you imagine someone say, saying to you, your sin is forgiven, but your child's going to die anyway? Well, how uh, your sins your, your your sin is forgiven, but your child is going to die because to punish you for your sin. That's double talk. Can you imagine saying to somebody, "Your sin is passed over. God overlooks your sin. You will no punishment. Basically, you will not die. Okay, no death. No, the 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 curse of death, the curse of the law." that comes upon a person who sins will not come because God overlooked your sin. He passed over your sin. But 
your child will die as a punishment for your sin. No, that's not how that's not what it means. It's not what it means. Because that's double talk. That's speaking out of both sides of your mouth in, in one in one sentence, basically. So verse 13 is clear. David's sin is overlooked. It is he he is forgiven. Verse 14 is a different story. David has shown utter disrespect, contempt for the Lord publicly and has brought reproach upon the name of the Lord publicly. And, you know, the general public, the world is probably talking about it. So God in his wisdom, God in his infinite uh, knowledge and justice, he decided to take home. Was it a punishment? Did the boy, did, did David's son pay for David's sin? No, it's impossible to. You can't, that's not how it works. It's, it's, it's clearly spelled out earlier. Now, I know, you know, someone might say, well, you know, in the Torah, it's talking about, you know, God gave you a, a commandment. That commandment's for man, you know, in wartime that you're not supposed to kill someone else. For it. But that doesn't make sense because God is not like that. God is not like one commandment for me and another commandment for thee. It's not how God works. He's not a hypocrite. When he, when he brings down a law saying, the soul that sins shall die and nobody else shall die for, 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 for you or for anybody else. Not even Moses in all of his righteousness and in all of his relationship with the Lord that he had. Not even Moses could get his prayer answered that he would die for the people. Nobody. Because that's not how God works. Think about it for a minute. If this means that the child died for, for the sins of David, this means that God refused Moses, even Moses, his prayer that he would die for the, for the people. God refused him, even though he asked. But yet, God didn't refuse the, this boy, even though he didn't ask. It doesn't make sense. Okay, so this is what this is. This is where this is where we have to clarify. David's son had to go for the sake of the name of the Lord. The public, because the the reproach of the Lord, the the reproach. Um, reproach has been has been uh, cast upon the name of the Lord because of the situation, because of the circumstances. So God is like saying, "Okay, David, your sin is passed over. You're you're, you're forgiven. You're not going to die." Okay. However, your son, because of your enemies, you have given your enemies. ground legal ground so to speak to re to bring reproach upon the name of the lord and because of that in my infinite wisdom 
I have to make the decree that I take the boy home. The boy didn't pay for Davidson. The boy didn't die for his sin. The boy was an unfortunate, it was, it's, it's almost like this. If you have a father who is reckless driver, he gets in a car accident. The boy, he has a, he has a, a boy with him. The boy dies. It's an unfortunate, very unfortunate circumstance. Did the boy actually die because of the father's sin? Depends on how you want to, depends on how you want to parse it. But in the way, like I, I, I just explained myself earlier, when I say die for sin, I'm talking about how, how a lot of Christians use it, use that phraseology when it comes to Jesus. Did that boy actually take the punishment of sin upon himself for the father? No. No, he didn't. Did he get caught in the crosshairs? Yes. Sometimes you get stupid parents out there, and they do stupid things that cause a lot of pain to their ch- to their children. Do they? Do, do those? Do those child? Do, do those children pay the debt for the parents in the sight of God? No, they don't. They're an unfortunate victim. The consequences of the parents' foolishness will cause the children grief, but the children are not caused any grief to pay as as if they're paying the debt of their parents. That's not how it works. And you understand what I'm saying. There's a difference between being caught in an unfortunate circumstance as opposed to actually paying someone's debt, as opposed to actually dying for somebody. You can say, well, this person died. You know, um, an air uh, airliner, right? Um, Something goes wrong. The pilot is at fault. He's negligent. Two hundred people die. Did the people? Did the people die? Because did the people die for the for the pilot's sin? Not in the sense that I'm talking about. Not in the, not in the sense that the people actually paid for his paid his debt so that he can go free. Not that the 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 people actually paid the punishment. No, not at all. That pilot will pay the punishment <laughs> after his court, after the trial. He'll, he'll, he'll pay the punishment, right? The people didn't pay the punishment. They were just unfortunate in the circumstance. So in the same way, David's son did not pay the punishment. He could not. If he did, then God is a liar. Because God said that's not how it works. God in his infinite, God in his law, in his eternal law said this, this, this doesn't, this is not how it works. He refused Moses. It's not how it works. The soul that sins shall die. The soul that sins shall die. I'm sure we got some questions. If those of you who are in the live chat, if you have questions specifically for me, please, I'm going to try to get to as many as I can anyway, but please, um, 
and just put uh, at Christopher, at Christopher in the live chat. Um, and then I will pay special attention to those, um, to those comments and to those questions. But we see this, we see this so often. People, people pay, but not in the way that people like to, not in the way that let's say how uh, Christians say that, you know, Yeshua paid for our sin or pay, paid a debt for us or this kind of thing. You've got a mother who is on abusing substances and, he, and she's pregnant. It can affect the child. Did the, did the child take the punishment for the, for, the, uh, for the mother's sin? No. Did the child get caught in the crosshairs? Yes, unfortunately. The mother still has to pay for her own sins. The mother still has to give an account for her sins, regardless of how much her sins can affect the child. I'll read the rest of this chapter. It's just, um, let me see, three or more, um, more uh, paragraphs, and then we'll get to the live, the live chat and see what's going on in the live chat. Uh, so this is Second Samuel chapter twelve. And this is the l latter half of verse fifteen. Well, let me, yeah. So Nathan went to his house afterwards. Then later, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David, so that he was very, very sick. David therefore pleaded with God for the for the child. David fasted and went all and went and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to help him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And, the, and David's servants were afraid to tell him that his child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, and since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David got up from the ground, washed, anointed himself and clothed and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord. Then he went, his own, went to his own house. And, and when he asked, they served him food and he ate. And his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you got up and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows that the Lord may be gracious to me and the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Am I going, am I going to him? Excuse me, I am going to him, but he will not return to me. 
Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and went into her and, and slept with her, and she gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Yedidiah, Yedidiah, or Jedidiah, for the Lord's sake. Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. Now Yoab fought against Rabbah of the sons of Ammon and captured the royal city. Then Yoab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. I have even captured the city of, of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people and camp opposite the city and capture it, or I will capture the city myself, and, and it will be named after me. So David gathered all the people and went to Rabbah, and he fought against it and captured it. Then he took the crown of their king from his head, and its weight was a talent of gold, and it had a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the plunder of the city in great amounts. He also brought out the people who were in it and put some to work as saws, iron picks, and iron axes, and made others serve as at the brickworks. And he did the same to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Interesting to see how First Chronicles chapter 20 was kind of split in half. Actually, let me just say it the other way around, because we know that first the second Samuel came first, and then First Chronicles chapter 20 came after that. It's interesting how First Chronicles chapter 20 it takes the first part of Second Samuel chapter 11 and the last part of Second Samuel chapter 12, but it leaves out everything about you know David, Bathsheba, and the child, that kind of thing. Um, very interesting how that worked. Just left it, just left it out completely. So um, let's get to the live chat. See what we have here. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Great to see you, brother. Caballero says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Abril says, Shalom, brothers and sisters. The Great Deception, Deception says, Shalom, everyone. All right. So, Shalom. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Blessings multiplied to you. Everlasting Gospel. Um, says, so it is the soul that sins, not the body. Very interesting point. Very interesting point. Yes, that's really the way God looks at things, right? If you notice, God is not that concerned about the physical, like the temporary life. He's more concerned about the eternal. That's a very, very interesting 911 everlasting gospel. Uh, it is uh, the baby's soul did not die. He just took the baby. Yeah, like again, really, like we don't know. Like obviously, in First Chronicles, we have a lot. <laughs> it pretty like the whole thing was left out, um, and 
second Samuel doesn't say a whole lot about the circumstances either. Like, I mean, we don't have like a clear picture of exactly what the enemies of the Lord were saying, what they were doing, how they were, how they were bringing reproach upon the name of the Lord. We don't know all the, the, the details. We don't really know all of the nitty gritty, um, uh, you know, exact context. Okay. All we know is God made it very clear in multiple places throughout the Tanakh. The soul of the sin shall die. Nobody else will die for, for someone who, if you, if you got, if the sinner will die for his sins, the righteous one will be rewarded for his righteousness. Nothing else. In, in, you know, in spite of the fact that we have Moses and other prophets as well that are praying to be blotted out or praying for uh, standing in the gap, uh, wanting to basically uh, take the punishment. We even got Paul, even the Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul, he said, I wish I were cut off from, for the, the sake of um, my brothers, brothers and sisters in the flesh. He wished he could take the punishment as well, but he couldn't. Um, Moses couldn't, uh, because it's the law of God. Nobody can. It's the law of God. And again, you think about it. It's, it's, it's just just, it's just, it's just just justice. I used to go to a church that taught the gospel like this, like, well, you know, um, suppose you, uh, you were charged or, you know, you were charged a great fee, or let's say you were, you said, you know, you get so long in jail or, you know, you, you get, um, uh, you, or pay a fine, like a huge fine, like a million dollar, $10 million fine, whatever the case is. And, and you say, you know, um, uh, your honor, I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't pay that fine. And then someone stands up in the courtroom and hits Jesus. And he says, I'll pay the fine for you to set this person free. So Jesus pays the fine and pays the fine. And then that person goes free. Such a beautiful story. However, it's not scriptural. Sorry. It's just not, it's just not the truth. It's so beautiful. It sounds so good. It's such a, it's just not there. With the possible exception of how you interpret Paul's letters, but again, Paul, if he preached a, a different gospel than Peter, James, and John, or even Jesus himself, then sorry, Paul, you're wrong. If he preached a gospel that is different than the gospel that we read of through the Tanakh, sorry, Paul, you're wrong. Remember, again, the men of Berea, they tested his gospel against the Tanakh. The New Testament was not in, in existence in, the, in those days. The men of Berea took everything that Paul said. He, they took his gospel and they said, we're going to search the, we're going to search the scriptures, the Tanakh to see whether or not what Paul says is true. And that's the way we should, we should be as well. We should be like that. We should be like, Hey, you know what? How long we have been believing, you know, the church's interpretation of Paul's letters is it actually in, in the Tanakh? Is it 100% compatible with the Tanakh? If it's not, I know it's difficult, but if it's not, we need to say thanks, but no thanks. We should be a Berean. And, you, and we know the Bereans were not rebuked for doing what they did. Actually, they were praised for it. It says in 
uh, Acts chapter 17, they were noble. They were honorable men. So God gave them that kind of description in Acts chapter 17 because of what they did. Yet today, all I have to do is question Paul, and I'm called all kinds of names. Abril says, I'm loving this teaching. It's really important in my life right now. Thank you, Christopher. Well, thank you very much for your kind um, word of encouragement. I appreciate that. And blessings multiplied to you. Abril says, yeah, the soul is eternal. Be aware of the one that can obliterate your body and the soul and the soul in Gehenna. Actually, Yeshua, the way he put it was, don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body, but be afraid of the one who, after um, the body is done away with, can cast your soul in, into, into hell. The great deception, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. That's it right there. That's it right there. It didn't say, if my people will just bring their lamb sacrifice. It's not what it said. It did not say, if my people will just believe in someone else is going to take their sin for them. Without repentance. It's not what it said. If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, heal their land, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Mark says, Shalom. Shalom, Mark. Good to see you. Welcome. Everlasting Gospel uh, says, sorry, what translation did you say was better? Um, okay, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying it's the best. Every translation has its problems. But the Young literals, the Young's literal translation, the YLT. If you're, if you want to kind of look at comparing different translations, don't forget that one. That's that's all I that's all I say. Don't forget that one. I know it's got like a um, it's got like a King Jamie kind of tone to it, but it's not. It's not King James. Um, but it, it's it's quite. It's it's on the more accurate side, that's for sure. Caballero says, then how do we understand substitutionary atonement? Uh, Jesus taking the punishment we we deserved. First Peter 3, 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Okay. Um I for 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 decades, literally decades, I have been against substitutionary atonement, um, otherwise known as vicarious atonement. And the reason being is because I went through a lot of trouble because of it, to say the least. I went through a lot of trouble because of it. When I got saved in 1992, I should say when I repented and started walking with God in 1992, when God gave me the grace to do that, um, I was involved in a lot of things that I shouldn't have been involved in, a lot of foolishness, a lot of just a lot of stuff. Um, and everything got taken away from me. 
instantly, just an instant change, except for one thing. And I struggled with this one thing day in and day out. Beginning in uh, August of 1992, that's when I, I mean, before that, but it, that's when it really became clear to me that it was something that is, that is, that I should, you know, deal with. And so I struggled with one thing day in and day out. And I went through all the different phases of it. You know, I went through all the different phases of, cause you know what people do. Um, it's like, first of all, you feel ashamed. You feel, um, you feel down, uh, you feel condemned. And then after a while you kind of, you, you, you then you go through an, another phase of justifying it. Well, it's not really a sin or it's not a sin or it's not, you know, it's not a sin. Um, you start justifying. Then you go through another phase where it's like, well, I, then you go back to saying, yeah, I know it's a sin. Um, I got to the point where I was struggling so, so hard against this sin. I would pray and pray and pray and pray and read the Bible. I you know you read this, you read in the, in the Psalms, you know, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So I remember reading that and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to memorize the scripture then. And so I did. I mean, I started memorizing scripture, memorizing, memorizing, memorizing. Mem uh, I don't know how many hundreds, <laughs> how many hundred or over a hundred, so many verses. I'm just starting memorizing, 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 thinking this, this will help me overcome this. I fought hard, very hard. Reading in, in Hebrews that, you know, uh, you know what it says in Hebrews, you have not resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. Remember that passage? I remember I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I haven't. <laughs> like that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty extreme, but you know, and I'm not saying that I actually went that far not that I, I don't even know how I could, but, um, I was just vehemently fighting against it. It was tough. It got to the point where I was fasting and praying. And I would fast and I would pray. I think, well, since, since memorizing the scripture didn't really seem to do much to help me, since prayer didn't seem to do much to help me, since uh, going to church, and actually I thought, I read, you know, in James, where it's like, you know, confess your sins one to another that you, that you may be healed. And I, I started just openly confessing and openly telling people at church and getting them to pray for me, like just, just opening right up. And that didn't seem to help me either. I mean, I really put my, put myself through the, through the mill. I really put myself through the mill. Very tough. I went to the, I, I went to the point of just letting myself be humiliated publicly. Um, Pray, I thought, okay, so prayer, you know, on its own didn't seem to help me. Confessing my sins one to another didn't seem to help me. Pray, um, reading the word and, and memorizing the word didn't seem to help me. Um, finding in my own strength didn't work either. So I thought, well, maybe prayer and fasting might work. So I don't, I can't remember how many times I prayed and fasted. And I mean, fasted food and water. 
for like days to the point where I got, I, I got pain. I was in pain. I'm thinking, I can, I, okay, if I, if I don't at least drink some water here, I'm going to probably end up in the hospital. This is, this is what I went through. I can't tell you how many times I went through that. Finally, it was in the summer of 1995. I went to church, believe it or not. I went to church. And you know, when the pastor gets up and starts preaching a message, and you know, it's one of those things where it's like, man, this is just for me. I mean, if there's maybe it was for nobody else in the room, but it was for me. And the message that the pastor preached, I'll never forget, was about how to be about being free from sin. The actual title of the sermon was it for freedom he has set you free or something something that to that effect, you know, uh for freedom he has set you free. Um and one of the one of the main points of the sermon was if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the pastor said in his sermon, this is why it spoke to me so, so deeply. She, he said, you can pray all you want. He said, you can, uh, you can read the Bible all you want. You can fast and pray all you want. You're just going to be a miserable ogre. What you need is the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he said, the truth is, you were crucified with Christ. It's it's over. I am crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Remember, even Paul said in, in Romans 6.2, if you're dead to sin, how can you live in it any longer? If you are dead to sin, you're crucified with Christ the way you're supposed to be, how can you sin any longer? Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ, those who are Christ, have, not will, not are, trying to, but have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. And all of a sudden, it hit me. All of a sudden, it hit me. It's like, what kept me in bondage? What kept me enslaved to sin was error, was lies. The lie was he died for me, like he's on the cross for me, like he paid for me. Like he, he paid the debt. The truth of the matter is, no, he didn't. He, it's not like I was on the ground and he was on the cross. No, I am crucified with him. Big difference, totally different position. You're not on the ground looking up and sit, looking, looking at Jesus. Oh, he died for me. He took my pain. He took my debt. He took my sin. No, 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 no. I died with him. I am crucified with him. I rose with him. Colossians. I rose with him. That the lights came on. And from that time forward, it was like, you know, I, I, it changed my life, completely changed my life. So I used to, like, I wrote, I wrote some songs 
I wrote about 50, 60 songs, you know, mostly in my early Christian, you know, Christian years of, you know, play guitar. And one of my songs talks about the substitutionary atonement. And when I learned what I learned and I was set, and I know what, what I learned was the truth because it set me free. <laughs> you see, when people believe in substitutionary atonement in and of itself, they're not free. They're not free. They continually st struggle with sin. I speak by I, I speak from experience. At least that's how I found it. That's how I found. Uh, that's how I experienced it. So, when I learned the truth that set me free, I changed the lyrics of my songs from substitute to. You know, there's this one song I wrote that's like, he's the one that, he's my substitute. I changed he's my substitute to he's my identity. Like, I am crucified with him. You know, like I identify with him. That's what I mean by that. Not that I identify as him. Don't get me wrong. No way. But I mean, I, I identify with him. And it's a huge, it's a huge difference. It reminds me of an old revivalist. Um, who was it that said this? It might have been uh, Ravenhill. Might have been Ravenhill. When he said, um, too many Christians are around the cross. They're in the wrong place. They should be on the cross. So, I mean, it's all, it, it, it can get to like, you know, semantics. It's like, he died for you. Yes, he died for you. You can say, yes, he died for you. Um, but what does that mean to you? Does that mean that you're, you can go, you know, do your, you can just go sin, you know, sin like the devil and everything's paid for. Or, or you actually died with him. Like, what does it mean by he died for you? You know what I mean? Like, it, it can be... Most people today take it to mean the first, the, take it like the first way, like, like it's substitutionary. But I think it's a whole lot deeper than that. I think that that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's why I'm so adamant about this. Very good question, Caballero. Thank you for asking. So Mark says, um, what's the deal with the Jews at the wall and the wall? In Jerusalem, I think it's pretty creepy that they rock back and forth like they're trying to summon something. Do you think the walls, do I think the walls are an idol? Um, okay, let me start with the beginning. Rocking back and, back and forth. There is an old friend of mine, actually, in the early years of my walk with God in 1992 and 1993, he was like a mentor to me, this guy. And he was really like, I hate to use this kind of expression because I don't really believe in using it, but I'll say it anyway. He was like, he was on fire for the Lord. Like he, he, he was very, very sold out to God. He was, he was a mentor to me back in those days, back in the day, in my, in my early years. Like I, he was like a saint to me. He was like a saint. Actually, part of his name actually is literally saint. 
I mean, his, part of his, part of his name is part is, is, is saying, but he was like a saint to me. Um, I looked up at him. I looked up to him and like, you know, every question I had about the Lord, every, like, you know, every, um, every bit of advice I needed apart from what I could glean from the Bible. I asked him, um, he seemed like he, was, he seemed to be very, very close to, to, to God. Like he would, he would spend an enormous amount of time alone with God and seeking God and, um, preaching, uh, about you know the Lord, and you can see at the time you can see the light of the Lord on him, if you know what I mean. This particular gentleman that I'm speaking about, he was certainly not Jewish, but but when he prayed, he would rock back and forth. He would rock back and forth. Um, and I've seen other people do that as well. In church, in uh, I used to, again, I used to go to this very, very charismatic church, and I, I used to see people do it too. As they pray, they would rock like this, right? They'd rock back and forth as they would pray. They just feel like I guess that's what they that's that's what they feel like doing. Now, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's exactly what the the Jewish people, but you know, it could be a similar kind of thing. You know? um, and I understand how it can be, it can, it, you know, it can appear creepy and give you like creepy feelings. It's so different. It's so weird because you never see that kind of thing happening or you may not do it yourself. Um, I wouldn't judge anybody for rocking, um, be it a Jew or my old buddy or the other people I used to go to church with. And I, it, wasn't, it wasn't that many people that actually rocked. Don't get me wrong. I didn't go to a rock in church. Okay. I didn't go to a rock in church, but um, there were several people that I know, especially that guy I told you about that was really close to me for a while. Um, he, he rocked as he prayed and he would pray. He would lift his hands and he would rock. That's how he, that's how he would, that's how he would pray. If I had him here and, you know, praying, he would probably do that. If I had him as a guest, he'd probably do that. He'd probably, you know, he'd be praying like this and he'd be rocking as he's, as he's praying. That's just the way he was. Um, I do not think the walls, I mean, <sighs> generally speaking, there's probably people that they do idolize it, the walls. I would not throw a blanket over it and say they all do, right? Um, it's like it's like Christians with, with church or with the Bible or, you know, um, You know, there's there's many things you can idolize. So uh, they go there because of the scriptures, um, and we'll 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 get to that very shortly. Actually, in our readings, uh, when Solomon said Solomon's prayer, it's actually part of the Tanakh. It's like basically, it's, it's like it's actually part of the Torah. Bless, I mean the extended Torah. Uh, if you, uh, you know. Solomon's prayer was, uh, if if your people God gets dispersed, you know, through the nations and and uh, they turn toward this place, toward this temple, and they pray here from heaven, basically hear their prayer, you know, uh, honor them for turning to your turning toward this temple because this is this is a, a, a symbol basically of the place where you dwell 
Um, so that's really the bottom. That's really where they're at. Uh, that's why they 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 do that. Um, I mean, the temple doesn't stand there. Certainly not as it did, you know, previous to seventy A.D. But um, what does remain is is they make the most of it. Uh, I personally don't have any problem with that at all. I actually, um, you know, Lord willing, one of these days uh, I'll go myself, uh, and uh, and and you know, it's 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 wonderful. I think it's I think it's an awesome sight. I think it's I think it's uh, Bible prophecy fulfilled. Um, yeah. So to answer your question. Generally speaking, no, they're not making an idol of it. They know what they're doing. They know that this is that this is just in basically in obedience to the Tanakh, um, in accordance at least to the Tanakh. Maybe not so much obedience, but in accordance to the Tanakh. They're turning toward the temple. Uh, they're coming to the place where they knew as the place of God's dwelling, and 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 so on and so forth. The, the place that the Lord chose. And they are pouring out their hearts in prayer to God there. So that's awesome. I think it's I think it's awesome. Thank you for the question, Mark. One John says uh, to Mark, I know, I know this is not to me, so excuse me for kind of butting in on the conversation here. But uh, they are bowing to God as they pray. It happens to me, and I'm not trying to do it. Hey, there you go, right there. There's a there we go. Close brother in the Lord, right there. Close, a close brother. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I think it's. I. I. You know. I. Again, this this dear friend of mine, this mentor. Uh, he rocked as he prayed all the time. Uh, if you if you ever saw him praying without rocking, there's something wrong. <laughs> there's something wrong. And it, I didn't. Whatever. I mean, I. What can I say? Um, Praise God. That's all I can say. Praise God. So true. 911 uh, tickles their ears trying to be the sugar of the earth rather than the salt. Absolutely. Absolutely. So true. So we have some discussion on Catholicism. You know, I don't. I don't really have a background in Catholicism, so I can't really speak on that matter. But uh, yeah, um, you guys, you guys have been there. I see at least a couple of you. You've been there and you've done that. So Vita says, "Shalom, Elohim bless you all. Bless you. Blessings multiplied back to you. Welcome. Good to see you." Maybe says, um, if a believer know that they are doing, that what they are doing is a sin and not of Yah, ask for forgiveness over and over again. Are they forgiven over and over again for the same sin? Wow, that is a very, very good question. And that is, yeah, that is a very, very good question. Uh <laughs> This is like a case by case kind of basis. I, you know, I, I really can't kind of paint a, a mathematical equation over that and say this is what applies to everybody. I do believe for some people, yes. For some people, no. Let me explain. 
For example, for example, Yeshua said to pray like this, Father, forgive us our sins or debts or trespasses, whatever you want to say. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So that's a very, very powerful concept there. So if you have, if you have John, Johnny, okay, and he has people sin against him, and and all they do, like they they continue, like they, it's a repetitive thing that keep that that's happening, that they keep on sinning against him, and they, um, and they ask him for forgiveness, and he truly forgives them each and every time, even though they're repeating, they're, they keep on doing it. Um, you know, it's a repeat offender, even though it's a repeat offender, they wholeheartedly forgive that per, um, you know, Johnny wholeheartedly forgives that person. Then I believe Johnny would be forgiven if he did the same thing to God because of that concept. If he truly f- forgives someone else for doing that to him, I think that God would forgive him if he did that to God. You know, God is merciful. Um, on the other hand, if people just do it and it's very careless, if someone does it and they're very careless, like there's, it's, it's half-heartedly saying, oh God, I've sinned again, oh forgive me. Or maybe it's like, you know, they have a moment or, you know, five minutes of grief and afterwards they just do it again. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer in clarity. Again, it's, it's like a case by case basis. I think there are a lot of people that are probably condemned by God that will be objects of God's, that are and will be in the future objects of God's wrath for doing such things. But then again, you know, in the case that I just mentioned, where you got somebody who really does forgive others for doing the same, for doing that, I think that there's a good chance they'll get forgiven. I think so. And let me just also, um, let me just, as a disclaimer, I would never, ever recommend anybody do that. I understand that there is, there's, you know, people, it, it happen, like, it, people are caught up in, in those kind of things, right? They, it's, it's a cycle of sin. I understand that. I mean, the best is, is to get free, right? The best is to really just break, break free for good. Um, and that is possible. That is possible. So, um, I wouldn't step out and say, no, they will not be forgiven. Nobody will ever be forgiven if they just keep on sinning and ask God for forgiveness over and over again. But I, but on the other hand, I won't step out and say they will be forgiven with the, with the possible exception of what I just explained, something like that, where they have they have themselves covered in that kind of way. It's like, oh, I you know I I, I sinned this I sinned against God a hundred times and I came before Him and I I confess my sin and I asked Him for forgiveness, but I but but someone else also sinned against me a hundred times, and they came to me and they confessed their sin to me and they asked for forgiveness and I forgave that person completely and fully. I think that 
I think that they're in a good position. Let me just put it that way. I think they'd be in a good position to receive the mercy of God in that, in that, uh, in that position. Very, very good. Um, yeah, bottom line, don't even sin at all. Get free from that, right? Get free from it. Freedom, there is freedom. There is freedom. Freedom is available. It is possible. Thank you very much, BB, for that question. Clutch asked the question, did David's son go directly to heaven? I don't see why he wouldn't. I don't see why he wouldn't. I mean, we don't have a whole lot of detail. Like I explained earlier, we just don't have a lot of detail. Um, but yeah. Um, Abril, he says, yeah, it does for me, but I have to, you have to change your ways, not, uh, not just repent. That's what Christopher is saying, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It depends on how you define repent. Uh, for me, I usually define repent as, uh, as changing. I'm not, uh, repent to me doesn't mean feeling sorry. I know a lot of people, that's what it means. But to me, it doesn't really mean feeling sorry. It means to actually change. It means to turn. You can actually repent. In my way of looking at it, you can repent without even feeling sorry. I mean, does it, I mean, when it comes right down to it, I mean, honestly, did God actually command us to feel sorry or did he, did he actually just command us to obey? <laughs> right? I mean, like, hope, I mean, the idea is that sorrow, God is, is godly sorrow and that godly sorrow will lead us to repentance and that's the ultimate goal. Baby says, in other words, if David had continued committing the same sin over and over again, would Yah keep, keep forgiving him for it? Well, if he committed, if he he kept on committing the same sin over and over again, to me that's not repentance. He didn't turn from that sin. He's actually, you know, diving right into it, and he's, you know, he's, you know, he's indulging in that sin instead of turning from it. So. Yeah, I would definitely not want to be in that position of, you know, can you know, committing the same sin over and over again like that. The Tower Time says, Shalom, brothers and sisters, bless y'all. Blessings multiplied back to you abundantly. One John says, the pleasure of having the child was deprived of David. The baby was just fine with God. Yeah, that's basically what I, yeah, that's basically what I was saying. Um, but it seems, it seems to me like really the David really did after the child actually died, it seems like he was okay with it. Right? I mean, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. He probably wasn't like, you know, I mean, as any father would be, but it's, it doesn't seem like he was like, you know, he did his morning, he did his prayer, he did his fasting, he, you know, he did everything he could during that week. Um, but afterwards, it's like, hey, no use, uh, no use doing this anymore. No use uh, going around in sackcloth and ashes anymore. Wow, this is great. Voice of one. This is great. Abel was also sinless and caught in the crosshairs. Just another victim and didn't die for that's awesome that's awesome 
That is beautiful. Oh, you got it. You got it. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was saying. Just like that. Abel did not die for Cain's sin. Abel died because of Cain's sin. In the same way, David's son did not die for David's sin. David's son died because of David's sin. <laughs> Big difference. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's so good. I, li- I just, I, I like that. Awesome. Abel was also sinless and caught in the crosshairs, just another victim, and didn't die for anyone else's sin. Maybe if Adam had sent away Cain like Abraham sent away Ishmael, things would, would be different. Oh, I, you know what? That's another thought. It's I never thought about that either. Wow. I like it. You guys are, you know, you guys got a lot of, uh, I like, uh, you know, communicating with people that actually, you know, that are thoughtful. They're thoughtful. As you know, there are a lot of people out there that are not thoughtful. I'm glad. That's the whole the whole reason why we do what we're doing here, right? The engine the, and I know I, I bring some challenges. I know I kind of lay, lay some things on the table, so to speak, that's thought provoking. You know, I know that. And, I, you know, I think that that's a, that's a good thing. That's interesting too, Abro. It's interesting. I love the part um, where David's singing again. It's like when Yeshua was asked why do his disciples don't fast as he was still with them. Yeah, that's interesting. Going nowhere, ask the question if certain dreams are from God, do you think certain other dreams can be from the enemy? Very, very uh, similar question you asked. What was it uh, about angels, right? About angels. Um, yeah, yeah, you can say that. But don't get. Um, I, I highly recommend you don't get don't get paranoid about the enemy or um, evil spirits or demons and this kind of thing. Don't don't be paranoid about that because if you're in the right place with God. You're good. You're good. God's got your back. Okay. He's got your six. All right. So, um, yeah, but the answer to that is yes. Um, they can be, it can be. And if they do come like that, there's a reason for it. There can be many different reasons that the enemy could, could do that kind of thing. Will asked the question, uh, so you're saying his son was a casualty of war, so to speak, as an example well, um, it, it, that's a, it, in a way, let me just put it that way, because I, I don't want to say like, of course, it's not, it wasn't a war that happened there. And, you know, but um, in, in, in vaguely, you can say that, you know, I'm saying that his son did not die to pay for his sins or he, his son did not die for david in other words oh see david's david sinned here we, we, we got to find someone to pay for his sin because no i i don't that's what i'm saying I, I what i'm saying is i don't think that god laid david's sin upon the child i think that the child just got again for lack of a better word just kind of caught in the crosshairs of it all uh i think that um um uh, let me see, voice of one there really uh, put it in a really good way. What I was thinking is like Abel, uh, did Abel die for Cain's sin? No, I don't think Abel died for Cain's sin. I think Cain actually paid for his own sin. 
Abel was rewarded for his righteousness. Um, in the same way, David, well, I can't say he paid for his own sin because his sin, it says in the, the, the verse um, prior to that, like Second uh, Samuel 12, what was it now? 12, 14, 13, 12, 13, where it says uh, that his sin is passed over. His sin is forgiven. Um, uh, God overlooks his sin. He will not die. So um, if, if God killed David's son as a punishment for David's sin, then God went, went against everything, went against justice, went against his own. That's what I'm saying. The, um, you know, uh, uh, friends, family members can, can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, so to speak. Um, and again, we don't have all the details. Chronicles leaves out, like Chronicles is like silent. Um, Second Samuel is not very informative either. So, um, yeah, I, you know, what I'm, I guess, you know, the bottom line, what I'm saying is for, for circumstances that we don't know, God saw it fit to take the child home. Like we don't know what what was the actual circumstances of the enemies of the Lord reproach bringing reproach upon the Lord. How did that happen? Why did it happen? What did they say? What did they do? What was the situation? What was the rumors that were you know what were the rumors going around? Um, uh, how was the child caught in? What was he doing? Um, we don't know these details. Um, all we know is that. The child didn't die for David's sin any more than Abel died for Cain's sin. So, um, yeah, it depends on how you, you look at it. I mean, I, I kind of hate to say, yes, he was like a casualty of war, like in, in, in every sense of the word, because I don't, I don't think it's in every sense of the word, but kind of like that, if you, if you know what I mean. Very good question, Will. Thank you for asking. Vinny says the 90s were some crazy times. Yeah, yeah, they were. Abril says, oh, no, no, I died with him. Amen, Christopher. Very good, Abril. Hit the nail right on the head, one John. Pick up your cross and follow me. Then the resurrection is being born again. Exactly. That's it. 100%. Yeah, you're right, Vinny. Uh, Orthodox Jews rock back and forth when they study the Torah as well. And they start studying from the age of five years. 
Yeah, I know of a, an, an, um, actually it wasn't an Orthodox rabbi, I guess you might call it, but it was a Messianic rabbi, would rock all, a lot. And he had an explanation why he rocked. I, you know what, honestly, I can't quite remember what the explanation was, but he had an explanation of why, why he rocked like that. I forget exactly what it was. Bibi says, so when is it true repentance if you're sinning again in the same way? Another very good question. Um, yeah, repentance is turning from sin. So I guess you could say, like, like what can I liken it to? It's like if someone is, let's say, so let's say someone smokes and they stop, they quit smoking. So that's repentance. They've turned from that sin of smoking. Um, but what if they slip up like, you know, next week and have, you know, have a smoke and, you know, um, it's, it's another thing. It's kind of, it's like, there's a difference between being a continual sinner as opposed to, you know, oops, I made a mistake. Oops, I, I, I slipped, I fell, but I got back. You know, like it says, the righteous man will fall seven times, but he will rise again. Um, whereas someone who hasn't repented has fallen and it, they're still down, right? Um, it's, a diff, it's a difficult line to draw when, if you want to really get like super specific on it. Um, it's like, do you, is it, is it part of your lifestyle? Then if it is, obviously the repentance is not, has not, you know, that, that's what I believe is what, uh, John, the, um, John the Baptist meant by fruits uh, worthy of repentance is not just saying you've repented, not just quitting for a little bit and then coming back and, you know, habitually coming back and, you know, but fruits worthy of repentance is like, okay, so it, your lifestyle reflects it. Like I used to, you know, abuse the bottle. Now I don't. Right. So your lifestyle um, reflects it. You know, I can remember um, when I was, again, back in 92, 93, when I first started walking with God, there was one time, and this is a different, this is a different thing. Um, to what I, as opposed to what I was speaking about earlier, there was one thing I slipped up three times, excuse me. I slipped up three times, uh, a friend come over, you know, this kind of thing, or I go over to a friend's place. I just, there was just some little bit of the old life left over a little bit. Um, I slipped up three times. But each one of those times, I'm, I'm telling you, each one of those times, God punished me for it. Back in those days, I was, um, back in those days, I, I used to ride a bicycle around a lot. I used to have a, like a mountain bike I would ride, ride around. It was in like a, um, you know, semi-rural area. 
rural area. So I used to ride a bicycle around a little bit here, a little bit there and stuff like that. Um, and those three times I slipped up once I kind of fell if you would, if you want to put it that way, I kind of fell. And shortly after that, I forget how long it wasn't long, maybe the next day, I can't remember exactly how long it was after that. I got this like a bicycle accident. Like it was pretty bad. And then again, I slept up again. I, I slipped or fell again. Um, and, uh, and again, another bicycle accident. It's like, this doesn't happen to me. And the final time, um, I, I slipped, fell, I got in another bicycle accident. And this time it was within minutes. And so, you know, I believe it was, I, I believe it was God that was disciplining me. Uh, that's how I, I, it's like, to me, it was like, that's, I just, I just, that's what I believe. It was God disciplining me. And, and, um, and after that last time it was like, and these bicycle accidents were pretty bad. Like it was actually increased. Like it was pretty bad. Like this one time, just, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what I mean by a bicycle accident. I'm, I'm not talking about like a running into a car or anything like that. Not that bad. But like, for example, there was this one time I was riding the, my bicycle and, um, it was raining and I was going super fast. I was going super fast because I wanted to get home fast, you know, out of the rain. And so I was on the road, I was on a paved area and there was, um, a sidewalk at the side and somebody uh, just built like built a new house and they had like gravel driveway. So I was on the road and I wanted to go on the sidewalk for, I forget it. Well, it was turning. Uh, it was near the corner. It was near, near an intersection. I just thought there was nobody around. No, you know, the sidewalk was empty. So I thought I would just go up on the sidewalk and go around the corner. It's just, you know, that's why I decided to do. So when I, I decided to go up on the sidewalk from the road using the gravel driveway to get up to the sidewalk. And when I pulled my, my, uh, I kind of, you know, I'm going fast. I kind of pulled the front of the, the bicycle up just to get up on the, you know, onto the new driveway. And that, when I did that, and this sounds kind of funny now, but what happened was the front wheel flew out from underneath me. It was loose somehow. It was loose. So I pulled it up and boom, like I forks, the forks went right into the, the, the gravel driveway. And I just, yeah, I made a landing. That's for sure. I mean, I got up and my arm was just like, I was picking stones out of my arm. Um, but you know, it taught me, it taught me a lesson. It says that, uh, you know, God says, I, I, I discipline those whom I love. You know, if, if God doesn't discipline a person, you have to ask a question. If you sin, if you fall, and you don't get disciplined somehow in one way or another, um, I mean, that's serious. I mean, that's something you have to, I'd be worrying if God didn't discipline. Yeah, one John says to say, I, I I agree. If you use uh, God's forgiveness to allow yourself to sin, I think that's tempting the Lord. Very dangerous. Yes, you know, absolutely. Um, 
very, very dangerous for sure. Will Senior, definitely, if we, keep, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Yeah, um, and it's like how much more serious um, is it now? Is in the way the way Hebrews puts it, it's like it's even more serious. It's like it's not like we have more grace now. It's like it's even we have more responsibility now. Uh, it's it's really it's really sobering, that's for sure. Well, says always here to learn and share what I've learned. Iron sharpens iron. Sharpens iron. Amen to that. You know, that's the way I look at the. You know, that's the way I look at myself. Right? I'm just saying, hey, I'm a brother who loves to share. Um, loves to read the scriptures with you guys and loves to share what has been a blessing to me. And I uh, hope it's a blessing to you guys as well. So anyway, guys, that'll be it for tonight. Um, I will be back again tomorrow, Lord willing, same time, same place, 7 p.m. Eastern. We will be reading uh, more from the scriptures. We'll be uh, picking up where we left off. And so we left off, uh, yeah, we'll be reading only 2 Samuel tomorrow and Psalms. So we're not going to be reading First Chronicles for a little while, the way it looks here, for a few more days anyway. Um, again, for those of you who are not familiar with our Outlook here for the week is on Friday evening. We have Will uh, from Sheepdog Ministries. He'll be back joining with us uh, and discussing things. It's always a, a pleasure um, discussing the scriptures and the things of God with Will. Um, perhaps uh, Dr. Snyder will be back as well. I haven't, I don't have that. Let me see if I can pull that up here. I don't really have that set in stone. Um, actually, just to give you guys, this is, this is like, just, just, this is hot off the press guys, hot off the press. Um, almost certain that, uh, Dr. Snyder will be back with us on Friday. He, uh, he just sent me an email and, um, and it looks like that's what's going to happen. He's going to be back with us on Friday, uh, with Will. So. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Saturday, as usual, we have our uh, Shabbat fellowship at 2 p.m. And in the meantime, from now until uh, until Friday, so that'd be uh, um, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're doing our chronological reading of the Bible and fellowshipping and and everything. In the meantime, like we just like we have tonight. So that's that's the that's the latest, guys. All right, guys. So thanks again for joining me. Thanks again for your fellowship. Thanks again for your questions and your comments. I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. You guys are lights in the darkness. You, you guys are world changers, as I, as I always say. One John says, thank you. For, uh, thank you. Very interesting. Shalom and blessings. Thank you very much, One John. I appreciate you, brother. Um, Caballero says, thank you for your teachings. Thank you, Caballero. Uh, Tower Time says, stay blessed, y'all. Stay blessed, brother. 
And Mark says, Shalom, Shalom, Shalom. Okay, so I'll see you guys again tomorrow. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful Shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow.